0: To Understanding the Law, Week in Review. The show is hosted by Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont and Associates. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law, Week in Review is a weekly radio broadcast discussing recent legal and business news and topics. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your hosts, Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes.
1: Good morning. Welcome to uh, Week in Review. Got another great show with lots of stuff going on. We've got, uh, well, this is the week before Halloween, so we've got some Halloween news to talk about and uh, some updates, which is great. Uh, you know, we remember the man with his penis. We've got a great update about uh, about that, so we're looking forward to getting <laughs> is that. Is that
2: an accurate story. statement? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but before we get into, we'll- the story, let me just uh, let me just make a, a note and thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks on the internet. Audible has a massive library more than 100,000 audio programs, and they're providing our listeners with an exclusive offer. Just head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio, and you can download a free audiobook, absolutely no strings attached. Uh, It's it's free, so things that are free when you're actually going to get something for it, I Jump all over that so <laughs> i would head on over and get your free audiobook so how Nothing are you
2: life is free i'm good i'm good i'm good uh not uh not not too bad getting ready for a big birthday weekend coming up this weekend for my youngest daughter she'll be turning seven so uh the, the preparations week is fully underway and halloween too right so you're just what are you doing this week uh, party yeah oh. <laughs> yeah try to stay safe yeah there's a, a ton of uh different things that people do now trick or trunk or treat or trunk or trunk or treat or whatever. So I think, I think we probably have three or four dates that the kids are going to get dressed up for and head out into the world.
1: That's good. We just had a trunk or treat at my kid's school. And I think it's really cool because you know, the parents get together, you, you decorate your trunk and it's kind of in a confined area. So it's kind of nice. I mean, it's different now Halloween than when you and I were younger, you know, You'd walk around the streets, and I guess all you had to be worried about was people putting pins in your candy.
2: <laughs> yeah, the old razor blade apple. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It, it seems like stupidity has reigned supreme in the last 25, 30 years and has made it less fun, I suppose, because now you're, you're between parents. You know, I, We walk the streets sometimes, and, and, yep. uh, and parents driving, not paying attention. I don't, when I was a kid, I, re- I guess, you know, I don't really recall. In, when we lived in in a, in a city, I don't recall anyone driving their kids around. Nowadays, you do, and I'm just you know make them walk. They're going to be eating five thousand calorie diets for the next week on the candy they're going to pick up. They might need a little exercise.
1: That's funny that you mentioned that because you know what we'll get the, <laughs> the busloads of kids from the next town over, and you know you you open up your door and there's like forty <laughs> kids piling out of a van, and then they hop back in. It's yeah. more of a business now. How much candy when can we collect? <laughs> It's it's not
2: like <laughs> yeah. it's taken the phone. Yeah. It. it it kinda has. But but like you say, you know, there there's some great events that have, have I guess spawned from the breakdown of society as we used to know it. <laughs> and that's it's made life a little bit easier. Like the trunk or treat you go to one location, you roam around and, and you get things taken care of. So it's kinda it's it's nice in one way, but uh, it, it's definitely shaping into our twenty four seven always on the go lifestyle. So
1: Yeah, yeah. that's for sure. Well, before we get into the story, <laughs> I just want to um, I want to kind of pat ourselves on the back. Um, today, we were listed at number one show or one of the top shows on huh. Blog Talk Radio for not you and me, unfortunately, but for uh, last oh, man. Thursday. I know, I know, I got your hopes up. We got to work towards I that.
2: Could, I close to you then. That. That's right. We have a goal.
1: Yep. Last Thursday's show, we had Captain Lee from Bravo's hit show Below Deck. And, um, you know, first of all, I have to say again, Captain Lee was an absolutely fantastic guest. We talked about leadership and, you know, what the the nicest thing about Captain Lee is he had scheduled with us to be on Thursday for an hour. And the day before the show, he got a call from the network from Bravo and they said, we need you to fly out because we're shooting the uh, reunion special. And, you know, when when Bravo is paying you and Bravo calls, you just go because they're so big that if you want. To be on that show, you just go. And he very easily could have turned around and said, listen, I've got to make this flight. I'll be in the airport. I'm too busy. But instead, he managed to give us 30 minutes from the Sky Lounge while he was waiting for his flight. I and mean, his flight was like 15 minutes after we got off the air. So, um, And on top of that, he he committed to a part two of the interview so we can complete it. But, man, what a nice guy. He had some really great information. And then over on Blog Talk Radio today we are the uh in the in the today's top show section uh with Captain Lee's part one interview. So uh I'd like to thank him for being on and I think uh, you know that's that's kind of exciting that we're in that spot. So thank you for all the people that have downloaded the episode and have, you know, tuned in regularly. Now you've got to get me and Bob on the Monday show. <laughs> Right in the top. Yeah, And
2: that's not bad for a half a, half a show you gave on Thursday. It's pretty good. Imagine if there would have been a full hour.
1: Yeah, well, he'll be back, and we'll go through everything that uh, we couldn't get to. But, man, what a fun job he has, too. I mean, I'm sure it's got its downside, but when your office is the top deck of a huge $30 million yacht, that's a nice office yeah. to go to every day.
2: Not so bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Not unlike yours. I'm looking at cornfields. <laughs>
1: Uh, So, all right, so I just want to just throw that out there. I appreciate everybody uh, doing that. You know, and that's the thing, too, Bob, that we talk about all the time, feedback. Feedback's so important. It lets us know that we're giving you the right content. We're giving you things that you're interested in, talking about the stories that you want uh, want to know about. And so your feedback is so important to us. And, you know, go over to utlradio.com and post your feedback. You could do it on any of our social media pages. You can call us. You can email us. I mean, you could send smoke signals. Whatever you want to do, just let us know what you think about what we're doing because uh, it does help us shape the
2: shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I say it, it, it definitely uh, tells us what's going on out there because, you know, we have our own ideas and, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah. everyone else's.
1: Speaking of shaping things, you know, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a week ago, my wife said to me, you know, they've changed the shape of the Ebola Symbol. You know, the Ebola uh, gene or, or virus, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she pointed it out to me that it kind of looked like a hidden Mickey. And I thought, oh, yeah, look, there are the ears and the face. And and since then, they've sort of modified the, the virus a little bit. But um, So I thought that was interesting.
2: <laughs> <I> can... <laughs> well, it's mutating into a Disney character. Soon <laughs> we'll end up with only one parent. That's right. But you know what, <laughs> talking about Ebola, have you heard
1: about the nurse? who's now suing because she was quarantined for 21 days?
2: Yes. 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 What do you think oh. about that? The um I think it's 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 about time number 1 that at least one individual is remaining standing when they stood up on uh the, over the weekend to say, "Hey, you know what? We need to quarantine these people on our own because the federal government isn't doing anything." So uh, the governors of New York and, and New Jersey yeah, stood up. And, and, and Chris Christie is the only one remaining uh, on his feet at this point. And she's beaten him up pretty good. And and the thing I like about Governor Christie is, you know, he, he's he's straightforward. He says, you don't know, no, it's, it's we don't get a choice, I'm sorry. Too many people, when given the choice, have ruined it for you.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand at all. I mean, sometimes I can see somebody's point of view even if I don't agree with it. But here, I don't understand it at all. New York, New Jersey, and Illinois are the only three states that have the mandatory 21-day quarantine. And while I think it's admirable that, um, what is she, in Doctors Without Borders or something like that, it's admirable that you're going to help people, but then you've got to be responsible because it's not like there's a 1% chance you're going to come back from um, you know Liberia or Sierra Leone with, with Ebola. There's a much higher chance than that. And that's not fair. You want to help people? Well, try to help the people in this country, not contract Ebola.
2: That's exactly correct. Yeah, you would think that uh going over you have a certain degree of risk. Number 1, you could die. But number 2, coming back, you could get, you know, you could come back with it and you have to behave responsibly. And that's, I think it's 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 the the fewer is, is is the needs of the fewer are greater than the needs of the many syndrome that is uh rampant today, it seems.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's so, that's
2: yeah. right. Mister Spock
1: in uh, in Wrath of Khan.
2: <laughs> yes, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. <laughs> the
1: uh,
2: um, he uh, it's 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 surprising, like you say. You know, she's supposed to be a professional. She should understand this. She, you would think that someone would say, you know, gosh, you know what? You're right. I, I shouldn't do this. I should be doing this. And then there's the 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 ongoing concern about what the negative effect of this 21-day quarantine will be on future volunteers um, and whether or not people would volunteer. I don't think, I'd like to think that if you're going to go over there and you know you're going to come back and have 21 days sitting around maybe not getting sick, I don't think that's going to affect your decision. Maybe I'm wrong. I think these people, honestly, because they're bigger than I am, I think they're bigger than any kind of 21-day quarantine if they really, really, really want to help.
1: Yeah, I don't understand what her motive behind this is. Is it just purely money money. You know, I mean she's she's got a lawyer now and we can talk about it next week as the lawsuit develops because I'd like uh, to look into yeah. some of the legal documents. But it's a civil rights claim. She's saying her civil rights were violated by this twenty one day quarantine. I think it's the most insane, absurd lawsuit and but not surprising there's a lawyer that's on that case. So
2: know, <laughs> that's right.
1: This this is you know <laughs> This is not what I do. I just want to say that, for the record, I do not. <laughs> Forget about. It. This is more than ambulance chasing. This is like quarantine chasing. I don't know. But I, oh
2: man, in hopes the ambulance won't come.
1: Yeah, I'd like to get my hands on the legal documents, and then we can talk about this story as it develops next week. But it's certainly it's hot, so it's worth mentioning. But crazy, if you ask me
2: it'll yeah it will get bigger yes um and actually new york you know as we get, as we move on to the news New york right up there man it's um they've had some problems with their police force have you have, have you, it's not just all of a sudden this has been they they've had problems for a while because I know they just had the one guy die on the street, and then the story we're gonna talk about here peter um a New York family getting two million dollars for the a death in police custody a Long Island police department will pay two and a half million dollars to the family of a sickly bipolar man who died when denied his medication in custody danielle mcdonald danielle not daniel we'll get to that in a second said in her august 2011 complaint that suffolk county police used excessive force while arresting her husband daniel mcdonald that may the couple's minor son devon was also named as a plaintiff now police had allegedly arrested daniel because a neighbor complained that he had violated a protection order by driving too closely to him as he entered the driveway, which is nitpicking and is in his all the beginning. Uh, Danielle says her father-in-law warned the officers that Daniel had a bipolar disorder and a heart condition. When her mother-in-law went to the precinct and gave Daniel's medication to an officer, the officer refused to give them to Daniel, according to the complaint. The officer also allegedly assured Daniel's mother that Daniel would be taken to an emergency room if any problem arose. But police arrived at the McDonald's house the next day to announce that Daniel had died of a heart attack the night before, according to the complaint. Danielle says that she had been waiting at the precinct all night without being told of her husband's death. She said he was placed in a holding cell all alone at the precinct in West Babylon, New York. Now, the widow and the child's um, $50 million dollar complaint went to trial for two days before the parties reached a $2.5 million uh, dollar settlement that U.S. District Judge William Kuntz pr- approved of on Wednesday. That's a big stretch from 50 to $2.5 million. But uh, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is you know, it's – now, I don't want to call this a civil rights situation, but I'm not sure exactly. – this is just wrongful death. I mean, is there something else that's, that's hanging out here? Well, you
1: know, there is there – is, um there is a civil rights claim that is, is sort of a derivative of this. It's wrongful death, um, but there were um, internal affairs investigations launched and things like that in this, and because really it, it does violate the Eighth Amendment right against cruel and unusual punishment. So uh, there's there's more to the legal sort of pleadings in this case, but it is very interesting that, the amount went up. I mean, $2 million is, is a lot of money for this. And, and you could say, yeah, well, the guy died. Um, you know, I think this highlights a few things. I think that the suits against the police in general are very unpredictable. You could get a $2 million lawsuit, and you can get a $2 lawsuit because we've talked about the immunities afforded to the police. So it, it becomes very difficult to sort of predict what it's going to ultimately cost the police when a lawsuit's filed. Um, but the other thing that it highlights is the fact that, you know, police have to understand that while they are protecting themselves and while they are serving the public, that also means that you've got to protect the people that you have in custody because you don't know whether or not somebody has done something, committed a crime, committed an illegal act. Because they are mentally deranged or not, and this isn't a situation where this guy posed a threat. You know, this is simply we didn't give him his medication. So I think is, that. Is. Um, go, go ahead. What I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, oh, no, well, no.
2: I'm wondering, you know, as, as the general public views it, myself included, because um, certainly I'm no expert. That's why we have you. The um, when when you when you. Know, you're going to have someone arrested that you know you're going, or you're going to be arrested yourself at some point in time. Somebody you know is, is going to be involved with in, in the situation. If you don't think something is happening correctly during a sit, during an arrest situation or, or an incarceration, like in this situation is a lawyer, the first place to go, what, 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 what steps can the public take to say, you know, what? I don't think that, or I don't think Daniel's getting what he deserves down at the holding cell. We need to call somebody.
1: Well, I think that there are, there are a few things that you need to do. First of all, and this goes beyond this case, but um, a lot of times when people feel that they're being mistreated by the police, their first instinct is to react and to sort of um, you know, fight back. And I don't mean physically fight back, but argue back with the police. So if you're in a situation where the police are questioning you, detaining you, and there's the possibility of being arrested... Because the way I look at it is every time an officer stops you, you have the possibility of being arrested, even if you've done nothing wrong. It could be a routine, my taillight is out. But depending upon how you react and depending upon the demeanor of the police officer, you could end up with, uh, with handcuffs on. So the first thing I tell people is you just be calm and if you feel like your rights are being violated, you'll deal with it later. And you deal with it later. By going and getting a lawyer, um, internal in, uh, internal affairs complaints are also very important to file, but those things are time consuming. They take time. It's something that the police department's going to investigate. In a situation like this, where the woman felt as though the man was not getting the medication, what should have happened yeah, yeah. is that she should have called the police department, told them that she wants to make a complaint, and immediately hired a lawyer. A criminal law attorney who could have immediately, you know, written a letter, contacted them, uh, gotten a judge involved, that's the sort of thing that you would do in a scenario like this. You know, in this case, when when criminal law is involved in any form or or shape, you need to get a lawyer, and you need to get one right away, and you need to get a lawyer that does criminal law. Calling somebody like me who does business law, that's not going to help you. You need a criminal law attorney. You know this isn't mm-hmm. a scenario where you go out and you get the guy right out of law school because he's the cheapest, and you don't get the guy <laughs> that your family has been dealing with uh, as a real estate attorney. You need to get a, a specialist, somebody that handles criminal law because they know the judges, they know the police chiefs, they know the players, and this might not have happened if you had jumped on right not
2: claim on it. On, on, on the uh, on the family, they just didn't know.
1: Right, right, and that's you know that's the thing. What do you do because you feel helpless? Um, and and it's the police. And the police, depending upon who you've got as an officer, they can be very intimidating. They do it on purpose. Uh, we've talked about that whole football mentality, and uh, I, I think that that's everybody knows what generally the police are like. And I think when you see a police officer who's friendly. It's like, whoa, look at this guy. You know, a funny story. When <laughs> I was up in Maine this summer, we were driving through, um, I think it was Booth Bay Harbor, and there's a cop at the corner, and he's standing there. And I said to my wife, you know, because I see the cop, and I said, is your seatbelt on? You know, don't anybody look. <laughs> 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 That's what he's get wrong over. <laughs> and so my wife looks out the window, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, don't look, don't look. And all of a sudden, he waves to us, and he says, how are you? And I thought to myself, well, we're in like, you know, the twilight zone because this guy is (laughs) not, you know, what I'm used to in the New York, New Jersey area. So, but it's rare. It's very rare. I think most officers are, um, whether it's uh, protecting themselves. Remember we talked about that guy down in Georgia who was pulled over at the gas station and the cop told him to get Mm -hmm. your license. And then when he goes in to get it, he starts shooting him. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a lot of inexperience. I think it's a lot of fear. I think that the training uh, that the, the police are going through, I think, is is sort of off. I think that there's a lot of paramilitary training going on and not enough how to deal with people. And I think that that's where they're going on going wrong. So, but I think that well, the, key the
2: cost is fix it.
1: Yeah, the key here is that when you're in a situation like this, get a lawyer right away. You know, even if you call a lawyer and the lawyer says I can't help you right now, you've got to wait till this happens, then at least,
2: you know, you've done what you could. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there you go. It's get somebody involved that knows what's going on. Um, speaking of knowing what's going on, I continue to be amazed at what schools don't know. Parents blaming bullying for a daughter's suicide. Middle schooler Haley Joy Lamberth overcame epilepsy and to, uh, to become a straight A student, star athlete and gifted artist but school bullies caused her to kill herself her family is claiming in court. Haley's parents sued the Clark County School District in Nevada, its top administrators, a dean, a counselor, and a teacher on Wednesday in Clark County Court. Haley was 12 when she entered 7th grade at Thurman White Middle School in August of 2013, and it just took four months of torment from school bullies and inaction from school officials for his daughter to commit suicide on December 12th, according to her father. Now, from August until her death, the Lamberts say that severe and abusive acts of bullying confronted Haley on both discrete occasions and on a pervasive basis at the school. After her death, a school investigation showed a bully was a a student and identified as C.H., with uh, whom the school officials twice had suspended for bullying, according to the lawsuit. The Lamberts say Haley and her peers witnessed acts of bullying by C.H. towards students on a regular basis. The bully also left letters in Haley's locker, the parents say. Now, the school's investigation also revealed that another student identified as JJ bullied Haley in their, uh, excuse me, another student had identified that Haley was being bullied in their physical education class nearly every day for two months which the teacher had witnessed but ignored. A classmate told school investigators that no one was doing anything about the bullying. Now, Nevada law requires teachers, and probably most states do, who witness or who are made aware of bullying to report it to the school officials, but the PE teacher did not do this, according to the Lamberts. In a March email to Haley's father, the defendant, which is the middle school president, Andrea Catona, told him that when a student reports bullying on the school's anonymous website, an automated email is sent to school officials notifying them of the report. Now, J.J. did this. The school's progressive discipline plan requires school officials to investigate any reported bullying and obtain written statements from witnesses. But the Lamberts say school officials did nothing. Nevada law requires school officials to investigate within one day any bullying they witness or that is reported to them. They also notify the parents of the bullied bullied students, but the Lamberts say that never happened again. Now, there's just a list of things they haven't done. And three weeks after the anonymous report of Haley being bullied, the Lamberts say two days after her 13th birthday was when she committed suicide. They asked one of the defendants, the school dean, Ron Kamen, for a copy of Haley's disciplinary and other files, but he was told there were no files due to Haley being an exemplary student. However, Lamberts returned to school later that day, and the principal gave him the disciplinary file, which Kamen had denied existed and revealed school officials were aware of the bullying report. Lamberts are seeking punitive damages for wrongful death, negligence, infliction of emotional distress, civil rights violations, defamation, unreasonable publicity, failure to protect, protect privacy and false light invasion of privacy. So just a list of charges being thrown to the school, but it certainly sounds like, again, it's amazing that the schools are aware of this and doing nothing.
1: You know, it really is. And I think that at this point, as a parent, you would hope that school officials and teachers, would understand bullying? They don't. They don't seem to get it. I don't think that that it you know has really hit home. And you know, we just did the whole Pacer um, Wear Orange campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're working with Pacer this month and 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 promoting the idea of uh, you know stop bullying. And you hear a story like this, and it just really um, it, it's so frustrating because here is a case where. The school should should be uh, sued. They should be meant to pay millions of dollars. But what good is that? Because their daughter's dead. So Excellent. while that's punished, that's that's great. We've punished them. We We've received some money. But you've taken away a life simply because you were. I mean, if you want to talk about the definition of negligence, here it is. They owed a duty <laughs> to her. They clearly breached that duty by not doing anything i mean they all knew about this and nobody did anything and you have to wonder why are they doing nothing is it well I'm, I'm a pe teacher so it's not my responsibility i just see them for gym you know why why are they like that why aren't they taking this more seriously they don't want to fill out the paperwork i mean what do you think it is
2: now that's the thing i don't know i don't know that they think they take it seriously enough, or is it's just a kid it's kids being kids you know it's it's I, I've seen the movie Bully, which I'm sure you probably have as well, Peter. Um yeah. if you haven't, I'm surprised. Um and the and this was I think twenty ten when that was filmed. The lack of from what I could see, understanding or the lack of actual concern that the principal in the one situation where they had to actually had to stop filming because the kids basically health was in danger, that that principal seemed so unwilling to accept the fact that what was happening was actually happening and blaming, yeah. oh, it's bad kids, oh, kids being kids, oh, it's a bad bus, oh, I ride it, nothing ever happens when I'm on a bus. Well, yeah, and cops don't break, and, and, and criminals don't break into stores when there's a cop standing in front of it, you're yeah. in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, but it's, it, it, it never surprises me with the lack of seriousness. And it's difficult even as a parent, too, these days, you know, because we grew up in different times. To say, well, yeah, you know, maybe maybe the kid needs you know, fight back a little bit and show some cojones. Um but that's not the case. You need it's it's worse now than it's ever been.
1: It is worse now and it's partially because kids are growing up a lot faster than what you and I did when we were their age. You know, twelve years old, I wasn't thinking about uh girls and and the internet and how to, you know, get back at people. I was thinking about going out and playing nerf football on the street with my friends. And that's not what goes on now. I mean, people the kids are so in tune with technology and that whole idea of cyberbullying while it's looked at as a sort of separate animal, it all is is one thing. I mean, it's all this idea of bullying and it's um it, it gives these kids sort of a different take on life. And so where the bully when you and I were young was the kid that knocked you over and took your lunch money at at you know, school, <laughs> And you went home and your father said, well, the next time, punch him in the nose and he'll never do that again. Those days are gone. There are kids bringing guns to school. There are kids who've got all sorts of emotional problems in school. There are just dangers out there that I think did not exist to the extent that they exist now when you and I were younger. So when a school official hears someone complain about being bullied or picked on, It is their obligation, you know, as the protector of that student. When you drop your kid off at that school, that parent is trusting that the teacher or administrator is going to be responsible for the safety and well-being of their kid. I mean, that's a big leap of faith. When you think about it, you wouldn't just drop your kid off somewhere you know, at a deli and say to the guy that owns the deli, can you watch my kid? Hope everything's okay. Keep him away from the bologna slicer. But, you know, we do that every day. And we don't really, really know the the educators. They're teachers. We know them. We meet them at back-to-school night. But you don't really know them until the school year develops. And you're entrusting the safety of your kids, the most precious thing that you have, Two strangers, they must step up and know that they have an obligation that they have to fulfill. And when they hear someone complain about being picked on, it is not something to say, you know, it's kids or boys will be boys. That mentality is passe. It's, you can't go and, and, you know, try to revive that sort of mentality. You've got to take action.
2: Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. It, it, hopefully, they start to understand it. I think now more they, they are, and I'm sure that there are more places that uh, um, are, are getting more aware of it through unfortunate situations like this. But I, I would expect that all 50 states have laws now that
0: r- require
2: yeah. some form of action. So, um, there's, there's yeah. at that point there leaves little excuse for things not to happen. So,
1: no, um, let
2: alone. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every no, state. I, every no, every state has laws. Yeah. So, and and worse yet is when teachers get involved <laughs> wayne new jersey how far is this from you peter i always ask you that when i see new jersey uh we're about uh
1: seven or eight minutes so it's close Oh,
2: it's close. it's close wayne new jersey teacher resigning after facebook after a facebook post mocks a student's name with a curse word A Wayne teacher resigned and temporarily lost her teaching licenses after posting an inappropriate comment on Facebook about a student who allegedly has a curse word in his name, according to a ruling posted by the State Department of Education's Board of Examiners. Yvette Nichols admitted, according to state documents, that her statements were immature, but noted that they were based solely on the fact that the student's name contained the word, well, (laughs) fill in your S for poop. There you go. Um, I know we're not... We're not con- confined to uh, FCC rules, but we'll keep it clean. Uh, the board said it could not condone Nichols' actions, but her sincere sense of remorse, coupled with her long and unblemished record and her cogent, her cogent explanation of what transpired in her life during that time period, militate against the revocation of her certificates. Basically saying she had a lot of stuff going on. You know, hey, it's okay. Nichols resigned from her tenured position in Wayne after she posted a screenshot of an assignment One of her students had completed instructing students to, quote-unquote, practice writing my name the kindergarten way, according to state documents, which is a whole different question. Uh, According to the BOE's order, Board of Education Nichols allegedly posted, I want to ask the parents if they could change the name, and I still can't get over the student's name. In response to others' comments about the name, Nichols wrote, How do you think I feel when I have to address him? I literally can't stop laughing. I have to go all year with this. Wayne investigated and determined that Nichols had violated the district's harassment, intimidation, and bullying policy. Nichols had a teacher of, certificate of, excuse me, teacher of elementary school certificate of eligibility with advanced standing issued in September of 20, well, 2000 and a teacher of elementary school certificate issued in 2001. On September 19th of this year, the Board of Examiners voted to suspend Nichols' teachers of elementary school certificate with eligibility with advanced standing and her teacher of elementary school certificate for a period of one year. Nichols ultimately admitted to the allegations regarding her Facebook posts, but denied that she had engaged in bullying, harassment, or intimidation, according to state documents. So, yeah, I did it, but I don't think that's what it was. Um, first of all, practice writing my name the kindergarten way? Are we teaching children to regress? But um, this is just another situation where teachers and in, in, in social media don't mix.
1: No. No, and, and, you know, when we think of a bully... Nowadays, you think about kid on kid in school, but what you don't think about is teacher on kid, and it's so prevalent, and people just overlook it. Uh, They make excuses for these teachers. This is unequivocally bullying. There's no other way around this, and she should resign. I mean, she should never teach again. There are are teachers that um, I'm aware of, in some of the local schools who have gone so far as to do things like um, make a, a comedic song about a student or out of a student's name. Uh, and it's, it's aimed at humiliating and harassing, and it's bullying. And, and you can call it whatever you want, um, you know, but that's what it is. And, and it's terrible that an adult would stoop that low and, and be that abusive to a child. I don't care whether you're a senior in high school or a sixth grader. It's unacceptable, and you should not be teaching. Now, you know, yeah. there are people who are going to say, "Yeah, but the kid's name was uh, the kid's name was shit, basically," and yeah, you know, <laughs> literally. There, yeah, there's humor in in that. I have to say that, that that it is humorous, right? But it's not for a teacher to make fun of, and. Yeah, you know, this is hard because the teacher is 100% at fault. Never should that teacher teach again, ever. When you do something against a student, never teach again. But on a completely separate note, I think that a parent needs to consider what they're doing with their kids because you don't want to put your kid in a situation where they're going to be picked on, you know. Um, I try to, like, like you know, look. My my middle guy, right, his favorite color is pink, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're all for it. If he wants to wear a, a pink polo shirt, go ahead. But, you know, if he said to me, I want a pink backpack, I think I'd probably steer him away from that, not because I'm embarrassed that he likes pink, but because I wouldn't want other kids to pick on him. If my kid's name was shit, I think I'd probably want to make it into something else, shiitake, you know, something like that. I mean, I, if you want to keep that in there. But we could come up with something else, right?
2: Shitsky. The, well, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the fact of the matter is, it, it, it's, it's funny to kids. It shouldn't be fun- As a teacher, you would think, geez, that's a little unfortunate. We need to get around this Yeah. And, and, and figure out a way not to have to deal with it. Because every time, even if you don't think it's funny as a teacher, every time you say his name in class, everyone's going to cackle. Yeah. That's not going to help the kid.
1: Right. The teacher could have come up with a solution or the parents, and I'm not making any excuse for the teacher, but just as a parent right. myself, I, I don't, if if I was from a different culture, but I'm here in this country and I understand that my kid's name is shit, I would want to change it. I'd want to call him anything but that. And so right. that's something that I, I don't understand why they didn't do that. But then if the parent doesn't do it, then, again, you're entrusting the safety and well-being of your kid to that teacher. The teacher should have said, we're going to call you S. We're going to call you, you know, whatever. But obviously that didn't happen, and there's no excuse for the teacher.
2: Well, it's funny that um, this, this, this weekend around Facebook, um, I have various friends who are teachers, and there is a signed-up petition going around online that is talking about Time magazine. And Times Time's cover for this coming week is it's nearly impossible to fire a, te- a bad teacher. And yeah. of course there's a war going on on tenure laws per se, or the, the, that's the actionable phrase. This now is a war on somebody or something. There's a war on teachers, there's a war on tenure. And, 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 and when I saw this post from a teacher, I said, well, it's true. I said, I read the cover says it's nearly impossible to fire a bad teacher. Tell me that's not true.
1: No, it absolutely is. And here's the, just,
2: the first thing a yeah, teacher here. Here's an example of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 unfortunate that you know. I mean, it, again, I'm not anti-teacher. They just have a very good union.
1: No, they do. And and you know that's the other thing too. My sister's a teacher, and and I hear it from her too about oh, you know, it's not an easy job, and it's it's not an easy job, but. Um, I think that there are good teachers and a handful of them left, the old school good teachers. There's this one teacher that, that, that we represent as a client, and she's in school until 7 o'clock at night because she's making sure that everything is done, the lesson plans are ready, the kids' tests are graded, and I have so much respect for someone like that. And then there are other teachers you know, that are in five minutes before the bell rings and out three minutes after. And there's no opportunity for extra help. They don't care. When my kids used to go to public school, there was a uh, a strike, and the school had absolutely no decorations in it because the teachers didn't want to stay and do it, and they claimed that it was the union preventing them from doing it. And so who suffered? The kids suffered. So they're a very strong group with a very powerful union, and um, I know that they don't always get paid... Super huge salaries, but when you go into that field, you have to know what you're getting yourself oh, into. Yes. So I, I have a bit yeah, of a.
2: No one forced you in going to end here. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, this sense of entitlement as a teacher. Well, I'm an educator. Well, yes, but you chose that path. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. going into the Catholic priesthood and then saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I wanted to get married. Nobody told me.
2: <laughs> yeah. So. But anyway, teachers, teachers, adults should know better. That's 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 the the state of the matter. Hopefully, we'll hopefully we we will see fewer and fewer of these stories.
1: And you know what? The one thing though that I, I do want to just say is that if you believe yeah. that your teacher is bullying your kid, you should get a lawyer, and you should not hesitate to go after that teacher for bullying. If and I'm not talking about you know she said. Oh, little Johnny, tie your shoe. You're going to trip. You know you're, you're clumsy. I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about something that violates a state statute that can constitute bullying. That take action on, you know, because you've got to prevent your kid from getting hurt and other kids from getting hurt. So I, there's, you know, I think we mentioned it a week or so ago. There are a slew of lawsuits out there now against teachers for bullying, but don't hesitate when your teacher is not acting in a professional manner and is bullying your kid, that's where you go with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. let them know you're serious. Oh, speaking of serious and kids and all that fun stuff, the ACLU, sometimes they seem like they're on the un- other side of it, but you never know where they're going. They're suing a Florida county over a sex pres- predator law. The ACLU suing Miami-Dade County, Florida, to block enforcement of a law that prevents registered sex offenders from living within 2,500 feet of schools and other public places where children gather. The lawsuit, which was filed in the federal court in Miami, argues that the county ordinance is vague, that it denies due process to sex offenders released by the State Department of Corrections, and that it, in practice, threatens their public safety. Their complaint is stating that the individuals who frequently subsist on meager incomes after being released from prisons are unable to locate stable affordable housing in Miami-Dade County. This transience is primarily because the ordinance arbitrarily renders off-limit broad swaths of housing. Uh, Prior to the passage of the 2010 law, Miami-Dade County followed a less restrictive law that allowed sex offenders to live within a 1,000 feet of schools, bus stops, and parks and other places children are known to gather. After the local ordinance went into effect, the recent one, about 100 sex offenders who had been living under the Julia Tuttle Causeway in a trailer park, a freeway spur that links mainland Miami and Miami Beach, were forced to find a more isolated place to live. Now, the Complaint continues that the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office and Miami-Dade County, County uh, Homeless Trust lobbied defendants to have a nearby youth emergency shelter called Miami Bridge Youth and Family Services Incorporated classified as a school. Their aim, they're saying, anyway, the ACLU, is that it was to evict former sexual offenders in the area through um, the River Park, Trailer Park, and the bridge coexisting within 2,500 feet of each other for years without incident. Now, the ACLU says this lobbying lobbying pressure Led the Florida DOC to deem Miami Bridge's school, it then evicted dozens of offenders covered by the ordinance. Now, the complaint also saying it did so despite the fact that defendants had previously approved these residences, excuse me, residences, and despite the fact that the Dade, Miami-Dade Police Department declined to enforce Miami Bridge as a school for those registrants not under the FDOC supervision. According to the complaint, many of them, including plaintiffs identified as John Doe's one through three, now live in a railroad yard in nearby Hialeah's warehouse district. Now that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult line to cross. What, what, you know, you're you're going between what's right and what's wrong and what's what you should be doing. Now they're saying, of course, that it doesn't matter. It, it, their, their years of research doesn't prove that uh, keeping people away from these spots leads to recidivism. So the ACLU always fun to deal with, but, uh, what are they going to do here, Peter?
1: I cannot believe... I, I I, I don't know. I think this is turning into the Jesse Ventura hour, but um, I can't see... <laughs> they are even... Why would they do this? You know, look, here's my take on this. I've got kids. I want my kids protected. If I've got somebody living nearby who is a sexual predator, I did not force them to commit that crime. They did it on their own. Whether they're crazy... Whether they just you know, think that that's okay to do, I have no idea. But what I do know is if you've done it once, you are probably prone to doing it again, and I don't want you to do it again with my kids or anybody in the neighborhood. So my or at least thinking kid, about it. Yeah. You know what? There's a jury charge when you're on trial, um, and it essentially means false in one, false in the other. So the judge will say to you, listen, Jury, if you deem Mr. Smith to have lied to you in in his testimony, in this one instance, then it is okay for you to assume that he's lied about other things as well. And that's a jury charge that's used throughout the country. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you catch somebody lying, uh, so for example, they're on the stand and they say that, you know, on the night of October 5th they were in, in Tallahassee, but their deposition testimony said that they were in uh, you know, Wayne, New Jersey, hanging out with teachers. Um, you can impeach their credibility, and the jury can hear you do that. And so now you've, you've sort of painted a picture of this person as, as a liar, and you can, as a jury member, assume that they've lied on other things too. So if I can assume that if you lie at trial, that you're lying not just in one area of your testimony but throughout your testimony why would why would it be so out of the question for me to assume that a sexual predator who has acted once will not act again that makes no sense to me so i think that when you commit a crime like that this isn't you know petty larceny this isn't i needed money to eat and i broke into a convenience store this is a sexual act with a kid and you don't know how old this this you know you just don't know but i think that if you do something like this, good luck. Go go try to find a job. Good luck to you. But I don't think special accommodations should be made. I think this lawsuit is absolutely ridiculous. They committed the crime. <laughs> you know, and I think that they should be prevented from living in certain areas. I don't want them near my kid's school.
2: And the ACLU is, you know, you kind of... Sometimes you wonder if they're a necessary evil, but with regards to certain things, it seems like they just they perpetuate the angst and the anger against themselves by doing things, you know, fighting for, you know, sadly, fighting for the the the, the scourges of society per se.
1: Yeah, and you know what, I mean, in there my are people, <laughs> I agree with you, and there are people that will say, because I've had this conversation with people, well, wait a minute, you know, you're lumping in all sexual offenders, and what about the boy who was 18 and his girlfriend was, uh, you know, 17 or 16 and a half, and, and they were, you know, in in love? What about that kid that gets picked up and is now tagged as a sexual offender? Does that happen? Yes. But what is the percentage of of that sort of offender versus the offender that takes on children? And I think that it's a higher percentage of child molesters and those sorts of people who are in jail for these crimes as opposed to, you know, the 18-year-old who made, made a bad decision with a younger girlfriend. And I think that, unfortunately, go back to what you said earlier, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and i want my neighborhood and children protected. so if you get caught up in this because you made a bad decision, i feel sorry for you, but that doesn't mean that i want to run the risk of having a sexual predator, you know, live anywhere near my family.
2: Exactly. Yes. yes.
1: Nope.
2: <laughs> I don't want a serial arsonist living next door either.
1: Right. You know, or, or a bullying teacher. None of that.
2: <laughs> yes. We do what we can to protect the nest. <laughs> oh, that's just, that's just normal. Um, well, we'll see how that shakes out. Anyway, I, maybe there will be a compromise and then go to seventeen fifty or something um, instead of a half mile. Um, this one's kind of an interesting story coming up here, and I'm going to try to cut it as much as I can, but keep the details in. A watchmaker may actually sue former executives for breach of contract. A Michigan watchmaker, yes, right down the street from me, may suit two former employees who allegedly gave a competitor the company's NFL and Major League Baseball licensing rights, a federal judge has ruled. Advanced Watch Company, which does business as Geneva Watch Company, everyone's heard of those guys, bought the assets of Game Time, a financially troubled New York company that sold watches with NFL and Major League Baseball sports team logos back in 2009. Now, part of the deal... Game Times founder, Adam Pennington, became the head of Geneva's new GameTime Vision. He managed the licenses. Now, in January 2011, Neil Martin was hired to serve as the division's vice president of sales. As recounted by U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman, both men received an employee handbook, which included confidentiality, non-disclosure provisions, and that provision stated, in part, that no Geneva employee can discuss confidential information without the company's permission. Makes sense. However, Geneva is claiming in the lawsuit that Pennington and Martin suddenly and without warning resigned in February of 2013 and started working for one of its suppliers, Rico Industries. That watchmaker, shortly thereafter, uh, the two men used their inside knowledge to make sure that the exclusive licensing contracts that Geneva had were not renewed after they expired in March and December of 2013. Geneva claims the two men then conspired to ensure that Rico scored the licensing rights instead. Now, Rico sells some watches with designs virtually identical to the unique designs, according to the Geneva claim. Given the time that it takes to develop such watches, Rico allegedly, according to the claim point, would not have had time to offer sports watches for sale in late 2013 or 14 unless it had begun creating them while Pennington and Martin still worked at Geneva. The company asserted claims for unfair competition and false designation of origin under the Lanham Act, which you'll have to explain, Peter. Violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act and breach of contract and duty of loyalty, misappropriation of trade secrets and tortious interference with contract and prospective business relationships. Uh, Now, they're trying to get rid of these counts, Pennington and Martin, Rico, and they got parts of them discussed. kind of thrown out now the complaint alleges that defendants interfered with major league baseball and nfl agreements but elsewhere it explains that those exclusive license agreements were set to expire in march and in december and they were simply not renewed according to justice Furman. now defendants may have had something to do with the fact he said but not renewing a contract is not the same thing as breaching a contract so the fact of the matter is these guys working for somebody had, knew what they could get away with, maybe, and are trying to get away with it. The suit continues, but uh, Peter, when you, st- you have employees and you have a situation like this, you've got to take care of things, correct? Yeah, this is one of those things
1: that happens way, way more often than you think, because you know you, you're dealing with employees, employee handbooks, and um, you know confidentiality and protection of trade secrets, and when you're you're in a small business. You know, your are pizza shop, your a small hardware store. There's really not much that you have that somebody could walk away with in the uh, realm of intellectual property. But when you are more of a mid-sized company and you're doing things well, where you've got procedures in place and you've got contacts with certain vendors and clients, now you've got to start to worry. You know, you, you could be a five-person business and have serious concerns over trade secrets. And so in this case, like you said, you know they, they dismissed um, the tortious interference and in the contract claims, but they left open the Lanham Act claim and the duty of loyalty, um, which was not even part of the motion to dismiss, and the misappropriation of trade secrets. So when you're an employee working for someone and they tell you that here's a confidentiality agreement, you better adhere to that confidentiality agreement because you don't have a right, you have no ownership while you're employed to any of that information. That's the company's information. When you take that information and you go out and you try to open up your own shop or you create a deal with somebody else, you've violated the law. You've violated their rights, and in this case, I mean, I, I think the way that this will play out is that while certain counts were dismissed, I think that certain will remain and there will be a settlement Because I think that there are issues that the defendants have to worry about. I think that they have done certain things improperly. Um, You know, this idea of confidential information, it could be anything from the way that a company operates, the way that they track clients, the way that they deal with their client base, the way that they market their advertising structure or schedule. Any of that stuff that you might be privy to while you're an employee, it doesn't give you the right to take it and say all right now I'm going to go out and I'm going to use that same system to better myself and that happens all mm-hmm. the time it's a it's a matter of probably how many people are
2: to see yeah they're probably more discreet about it as well I mean this is pretty blatant it would seem from the description and the story but uh, yeah I'm sure you know if you run a you know you run a uh, a typewriter repair place and The only thing that come to mind, (laughs) um, you know, you're doing something similar, you know, you're going to, you're going to go off and you're going to do what you know and what you take, what you've learned. And so I just think people are a little more discreet about it than this one is pretty in your face.
1: Yeah. You know, there are certain things that you do, you know, you see the way that somebody maybe collects data and then you go out and you do something, you know, substantially similar, but that's different because it's, it's, it's more difficult to prove when you're doing something like this and you're taking information vital to the operation of the business, there's really not much of a defense you have there. So, and I I think that people often overlook, you know, there's this mentality sometimes that we see from a lot of employees at mid-sized companies where they feel as though they're being mistreated. Oh, you know, the Mm company is asking so much money. This isn't fair. I'm entitled to this. Well, you might feel that way, but you're not going to feel that way when you're sued and, you know, facing possibly losing your house over something like this. So, you know, you have to be very, very careful with what you're doing. You're not entitled to it. It's not your possession or belonging. And it's also something that um, should resonate in people's mind. When you get a handbook, read it. I know it's like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a waste. People think, oh, it's a waste of time. You know, I'd rather sit and read something else on the toilet. But this is really <laughs> important that you understand what's in your
0: handbook.
2: Start providing uh, laminated copies of your handbook attached to the rear, the inside of the stall door at your business for every yeah. every week. Change out a different page. You can make sure your employees will read it at that point. <laughs> people, people will and, of course, them. Clorox wipes to uh, clean them up. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, they throw these things on
1: the shelf or in their bag, and they never look at them again. But you've got to look at them because you have to understand what the terms of your employment are. You know, it's not simply when's payday. It's well what are the rules, policies and regulations in this company? And how can I make sure that I do my best work and not do something inappropriate? Because even if something's not per se criminal or illegal, if you violate the terms of your employment, you're gonna be fired. So read the books.
2: And from an employer standpoint you gotta protect yourself as well. So Yeah. Yep. Um speaking of we start talking about well, um uh, well we have a can't think of the the term here. <laughs> Jeez oh man. Um, intellectual really? rights.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: I couldn't get that out of my tongue. <laughs> Alternate hip hop band must arbitrate a dispute. Members of the hip hop band The Far Side must arbitrate a legal wrangle over the use of its name. A federal judge has ruled. The Far Side, formed in South Central LA in 1989, released its first and best known album, A Bizarre Ride to the Far Side, in 1992 on Delicious Vinyl Records. Um, Rami Robinson, Imani Wilcox, Trevant Hardson, and Derek Stewart performed as the far side. In 1997, Stewart left the far side, amended his recording contract with Delicious Vinyl, and the group continued as a trio until Hardson's departure in the summer of 1999. Though Hardson and the remaining members of the group entered into a settlement and disassociation agreement, Robinson and Wilcox alleged in a 2013 lawsuit that Hardson and Stewart had breached agreements by performing under the far side name. 2008, Robinson, Wilcox, Stewart, and Hardship drew up a contract as they briefly reunited. That agreement made it clear that the Farside mark belonged to them, Robinson and Wilcox alleging. Now, in 2012, Delicious promoted a bizarre ride to the Farside tour to coincide with the release of the group's first album. This is Hardson and Stewart. The show for the lineups included Hardson, Stewart, and two producers. Though the group was ostensibly titled Bizarre Ride Live, the plaintiffs claimed that the advertisements for the show used the Farside name. U.S. District Judge Christina Schneider on August 1st of 2013 issued an injunction barring Hartson in delicious final from using the Farside name and bizarre to ride the Farside marks. In September of this year, Hartson asked the judge to compel arbitration of the dispute under the terms of the party settlement and disassociation agreement. Now, Monday, Schneider held a hearing and issued a ruling stating that the settlement agreement covers Robinson and Wilcox's claims for trademark infringement, violation of right of publicity, unfair enrichment, and eight other counts. Robinson and Wilcox tried to persuade the judge that passing the case to an arbitrator would result in inconsistent rulings. We'll talk about arbitration in a second. But Snyder said in her October 20th ruling that she was not persuaded. Claims against delicious vinyl records involved in the 1997 amendment to the recording contract are unrelated to the party's settlement and disassociation agreement. We've got a big mess here, and although the 11 of the claims that will be arbitrated with respect to Hartson are also asserted against delicious vinyl records, the rights of DVI and Hartson to use plaintiff's intellectual property appear to be governed by separate contracts, the judge wrote. I think that uh, she also added that evidence similar to that presented in arbitration. will probably decide an allegation that Hartson has breached the 2008 tour agreement. Um, you start talking about intellectual property, and they, I'm sure that gets really muddy but the other thing that, that I'm interested in here is, is why would a judge send an arbitration?
1: Well, here, that's, that's really the key to this story here. And this goes back to what I just said. As an employee, I'm telling you to read your handbook. As somebody who enters into a contract, read your contract. Now, all of us enter into contracts every day. Whether you buy a computer, there's terms and conditions in that box that you are um, you are, are, are entering into. So you order a computer and there's terms and conditions that you must adhere to. That's a contract, right? Um, contracts are all around us. We don't even realize half the time that we're doing it. Go to a gym, join up, you're signing a contract. All these things out there constitute contracts. Now, when you don't read a contract, you miss certain provisions. One such provision is the arbitration clause provision, arbitration you know there's there's actually a video on our youtube page that explains the difference between arbitration and mediation so if you want to know the details of that you can check that out but arbitration is something that you can agree to in a contract so what happened here in farside dispute is that there are arbitration clauses in the contracts and so the judge is saying i can't even resolve this dispute because there are controlling arbitration clauses. So if you enter into a contract that says you have to arbitrate all disputes, unless there's something that's wrong with that language, you will not be able to sue in court, you'll have to go through an arbitrator. Mm. You know, and arbitrations okay. unique because a it's binding. So if you don't like the decision of the arbitrator, there's really no way to appeal that. The only time that that's, that's one of the things, you know, a lot of our corporate clients will say, why, do, why aren't you including an arbitration clause in here? And my view on arbitration clauses are, yes, it can save you a little bit of money to arbitrate, but you've got no recourse if an arbitrator rules against you. You, you don't have the right to file an appeal, and unless you can prove that the arbitrator was so one-sided, so unfair, which is extremely difficult to prove, there's not much you Mm -hmm. can do about it. You're stuck with that ruling. So, you know, but especially in the music industry, and and I'm sure, Bob, you've seen these contracts, arbitration clauses are always in there because Mm -hmm. they're trying to, you know, look, I've done thousands of arbitrations over the course of my career, and for the most part, You are in front of King Solomon all the time. They are always splitting the baby. You know, regardless of how adept the arbitrator may be, you are taking a guy who has seen your case a handful of times versus a judge who has seen your case much more than that. And you're saying, I'm going to sit down with you on this day and we're going to arbitrate this dispute. He's going to do the best he can, but he doesn't have your personalities down. You haven't been in front of him for case management conferences or motions. He's going to look at what's on the paper and make a decision. And more often than not, you've got somebody that splits the baby. Well, you know, I think that, you know, you're probably right, but I can also see their side. So I like to stay away from that because I want to be able to have the ability to appeal if there's something, an an error of law. Um, and, And, you know, I want to have the ability to get a judge involved to know the case. But, you know, aside from that, arbitration's everywhere. Arbitration clauses are everywhere. So you've got to be aware of that. You've got to read the contract. By filing this motion, by going to the court, all farsight has done is essentially wasted money and time. You know, the arbitration clause, unless (laughs) you're trying to, to get out of that arbitration clause, which you can file a lawsuit to say that the contract terms are not enforceable, and that includes the arbitration clause. But again, that's a handful of times that you're going to be able to to win that argument. Most often, you sign that agreement, and you're bound by the terms. And that includes, in certain states, you know, we had a case years ago against Dell Computers, because somebody wanted to file a class action against Dell, and Dell has a terms and conditions sheet inside their box, and it said that you've got to arbitrate all disputes and there's a prohibition against class action. Um, And it was interesting because that was (laughs) Dell's position. And, And the individual who wanted to file the class action, his argument was, yeah, but I didn't agree to any terms. And the court ruled like this. They said, when you got the box home and you opened it up, did you see the paperwork that was inside? And the plaintiff said yes the judge said, did you read it? And the plaintiff said, no. And he said, well, if you had read it, it would have told you what the terms and conditions of the sale of this computer are, and it includes arbitration. So you bought the computer, you agreed to their terms. If you didn't want to agree to their terms, you could have sent the computer back. And he ruled, you know, and it broke down. So.
2: Which is interesting, because I don't know anybody that reads any of those. You'd, you'd spend your life reading It's um, it's an interesting, interesting concept, an interesting way to insulate yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I look practically speaking, when those things, I don't. Lucky if I can find the receipt. I'm not going to read. I don't read the instructions when I have to put something together.
2: Certainly. Yeah, yeah, that's no fun. It takes the adventure out of something new. That's right. (laughs) And if I end up with extra pieces, that's a bonus. If I buy enough of these, I'll have another one. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> an extra.
0: <laughs>
1: Absolutely right. Uh,
2: yes. <laughs> well, not everything is as always cut and clear as an arbitration clause. Sometimes you get to kind of look between the lines. And a citizen has pulled a cop over recently for driving an illegal vehicle. What appears to be pretty cut and dry. Now, a man has filmed himself flagging a police officer down for driving an unmarked vehicle in Grant County, Washington. The video has stirred up some controversy, obviously, and amassed, has, has amassed over 1.1 million views in the past few days. Gavin Same, a former Republican congressional candidate, posted the video of himself threatening an officer with arrest to draw attention to the unlawful traffic stops being made by police impersonators. Now, same is and the state of Washington believe that police cars should be marked to help prevent such impersonations. Seems to make sense because the offer is, officer is officers patrolling, or excuse me, performing patrol duties in an unmarked vehicle. Same has said that the officer is now culpable in the violation of state law which prohibits unmarked vehicles. Same says the officer would need to return the vehicle to the station to be lawfully compliant. Now. The law same as referring to is known as RCW 46.08.065, publicly owned vehicles to be marked exceptions. The law states that it is unlawful for any public officer having charge of any vehicle owned or controlled by any entity in the state other than the state of Washington and used in public business to operate the same upon blah, 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 blah. But it's going to lay down the specifics. Now, the law does go into giving local police and sheriff deputies a pass, though, but only for special undercover or confidential investigative purposes. Same points out that the officer is not entitled to this pass because he, by his own admission, is using the vehicle for normal patrol duties. Same takes the issue of unmarked police cars very seriously. He says citing the lack of proper markings give police impersonators a criminal advantage. After printing out a copy of the law and reading it, hands it to the officer, the officer states, hey, this is good to know. Now, in response, Sheriff Tom Jones, no, not the singer, stated that the patrol car Deputy Canfield was driving was awaiting installation of vinyl graphics to be compliant. He says that uh, I'm not going to put the public at risk by not deploying patrol cars while awaiting installation of decals. Jones also wrote that no one would receive a citation or risk going to jail for violating the law, claiming that it is not a criminal or civil offense and would instead be handled internally. Again, you know... I don't get it for the life of me, why people want to confront the police so combatively. If you have a problem, just go see the man and get it fixed. But um, is this does this make does this law even make sense? I mean, I you see unmarked cars everywhere.
1: You know the law is strange and it is what it is. But I agree with you. I don't understand why you would want to taunt somebody. You know this is the same thing that we. <laughs> We talked to Rick Garrity a few weeks ago um, about photography and photography laws, and I've spoken about this before too. You know The ability for you, uh, of you to, uh, to, to film a police or traffic stop, you're allowed to do that. It is legally permissible unless you're interfering with the investigation. But when an officer comes over and says, put your camera away, unless you're going to make a million dollars because you're going to be selling this to you know, the inquirer, why would you want to risk the confrontation? I don't get it. I mean, maybe that's just me, but
2: no, it's, it's it, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, it, obviously this officer is not the sheriff. If you have a problem with the sheriff, you go to the sheriff. The sheriff doesn't handle it, and you can, you know, take it up the chain to the county board or heaven forbid the media. The media loves yeah. to make Everyone to look bad whenever it's possible. That's their job, and gosh and golly, we can't live without that.
1: Right. I I just don't understand this. I mean, this is asking for trouble. This guy was lucky, but could you imagine? I mean, I couldn't imagine going up to a, a, a cop in my town and telling him that you know he's violating the law. I, I just can't imagine that. Not around here. You'd be in jail. No. No.
2: and you know what the other thing on this is is you know you always hear about it peter maybe you could shed some light on it is the old citizen's arrest i'm going to arrest you as a citizen oh he threatened this guy threatened the cop with arrest well it depends on
1: your state and the statute now this guy you know he did have the ability to initiate a citizen's arrest but you know, that whole idea of a citizen's arrest is not what it was when those laws were originally enacted. They really meant for you as a citizen to be able to have this, um, you know, sort of qualified deputization to go and take on acts of of heroism to protect the safety of your 1950s suburb. This is not... <laughs>
2: no. Yeah,
1: now, I mean, this is... Yeah, those laws are are essentially dead. Um, there are some states that have them, and you can make a citizen's arrest, but I, I I would not advise it at all. You know, people have enough to worry about, and unless there's going to be a big superhero movement and people are going to start dressing up in capes and cowls and going out and
2: that, you know, that's I, happening. That's happening. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. Like that. Uh, or worse
2: yet, you know, you put yourself. You open yourself up to assault.
1: Yeah, there's so much that can happen, you know, with a citizen's arrest. There's, I mean, there are some states and and municipalities that still have those on the law, where you, you know, on the books, where you are free to go out and try to detain somebody. But I'll tell you, if somebody tried to detain me because they didn't bring my garbage cans in on Wednesday morning when they were empty, or Wednesday, or Tuesday night, I wouldn't take kindly to it. And depending upon the strength of the attempted arrest, I might have to get a physical back. So, you know, I think that that's just, you're asking for trouble.
2: Yeah. I might be in my they're, gar- they're, they're, they're head first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Take it up with the board. <laughs>
1: yeah, so I think this just. I mean, there's those people who are out there who are like, yeah, 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 stick it to the man. This guy's a hero. But then I think, well, you're lucky that you didn't end up in jail. And I think you're stupid, but
2: yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> they generally are. And, that, and, again, that can be confusing. And there's a lot of little confusing things that people don't think about in everyday life when it comes to the law. And the difference between a gift and a ring, I guess here's another one. woman wasn't engaged, according to the judge. She could keep a $10,000 ring from her ex-boyfriend. Long Island woman who broke up with her boyfriend can keep the $10,000 ring he gave her, even though he called it an engagement ring. The New York judge has ruled. New York, like many other states, typically requires women to return engagement rings in the event a proposed marriage is broken off, reports the New York Post. However, 48-year-old Debbie Lopez successfully argued to keep the ring given to her by her ex-boyfriend in 2010, despite having broken off the relationship in 2012. How did Lopez succeed in keeping the pricey piece of jewelry? Great case. Uh, Lopez's case, she was able to argue that the ring, which her ex had claimed was an engagement ring, was in fact merely a gift given to her in recognition of quote being a great woman and a good mother of the couple's child reports the post now lopez's former boyfriend 52 year old joseph robert torres told the court that he had asked lopez to marry him and that she said yes but the judge in the case ruled that the ring was given as an outright gift to lopez and not as a conditional gift made in the contemplation of marriage The law regarding whether a woman who has received an engagement ring is required to return it varies from both state to state and by situation. Generally, however, in states, in many states, excuse me, engagement rings are considered conditional gifts that can be revoked in the event that the condition, in this case marriage, fails to occur. But even in states which consider engagement rings to be conditional gifts, the person who received the ring may successfully argue to keep the ring if, as the judges found in this case, the ring was not given under the condition of marriage, but rather as an outright gift that can be revoked. Holy cow, could that be confusing. <laughs> <laughs> but I gave you a ring. Yeah, hey, ring don't mean anything. Did wow. It take, uh, right, it. hey, hey, it's a big ring.
1: Go with the Cracker Jack box ring, right? A, a <laughs> At ring. least on
2: the front end. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wait, wait See, the, That's uh, why there's uh,
2: engagement uh, rings and wedding rings. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Well, why don't you work on
2: Wow. The, anything like this yeah. before?
1: The the plastic promise ring might be good. The little string, the oh, entire.
2: Yeah. Here's, a, here's my class ring, honey. If you could just wear that until we get married, I promise you, I'll get you a new yeah. one. Then he's going to be on the hook because he's promised. Now he's entered into a verbal contract. That's right. Um, like... <laughs> Have you ever heard anything like this? Is this really something that happens on occasion?
1: Yeah, this is a common scenario where somebody is going to be, you know, upset and want to keep the ring and I mean this happens with divorces all the time it happens with engagements all the time um I mean it this is it's the right decision I mean because that's what the law says and I think that um you know you have to put emotion slightly aside I know that when you're in love everything is great and all you see is rainbows and unicorns but there is Another element to this, again, we're in a different era. You know, this is not the 1950s where you, you take back your, your, your school jacket, you know, your varsity jacket, and, and everything's okay. She's not going to slam you all over the Internet. Um, things are different now. So when you give somebody a ring, if it's a gift, you don't have to get that gift back. It's a gift. You've given it with no expectation. You've given it because, you know, you want to. Um
2: no, quid no, pro quo doesn't exist. <laughs> no. You know, we have we have a,
1: a, a case right now against uh, between a brother and sister arguing over the gift of a vehicle to one, you know, yes. made by the other. Yeah. So these things happen all the time, and, and it's this idea of, well, was it a promise? Was it an engagement? Because the idea of the engagement is almost like a contract. Well, you know, we, we entered into this contract, and the consideration for the contract is the $10,000 ring that I gave you, but it was all under the contemplation of marriage. And so I'm giving you this ring conditionally that, you're, you know, you're going to marry me, then you get to keep it, and then you get to keep me, and then as I get fat and bald, you <laughs> still get to keep me. Um, but, you know, this is the right decision. But Just, you know, don't give a $10,000 ring gift.
2: So very Judge Judy of them.
1: <laughs> I, I the, don't know.
2: Doesn't that seem like something you would see on the afternoon television? It
1: totally does, it totally does. But you know, I <laughs> look, if I if when I first met my wife, if I had the money to give her a ten thousand dollar ring, I would have. I absolutely would have. Um and fortunately for me, everything that I've given her, including the baldness and fatness, she's kept, so so I'm just lucky.
2: <laughs> yes, you are. Speaking <laughs> of lucky, and we'll get through this real quick and we get on to Halloween. Um, the penis amputation fellow back in there was it's been a couple months now I think it was july when we talked yep. about mr johnny lee banks jr and his wife they sued alabama's baptist health system over well basically he thought he went in for a circumcision and they got a little more than they bargained for the case was thrown out after a month later uh, because a circuit court judge concluded that it did not meet requirements under the alabama medical liability act under the act, Jefferson County Judge Jim Huey said the plaintiff shall include in the complaint a detailed specification and factual description of each act. Apparently, he failed to review any medical records according to the urology centers of Alabama. He did not review a single medical record prior to the filing of the lawsuit. Now, the, the defendant, calling the complaint fake, scandalous, and calculated to intentionally and publicly harm the reputations of distinguished physicians, says that uh, basically Dr. Bivens one of the named defendants says Banks has a history of diabetic wet gangrene of his lower extremities and that he'd seen the patient because of gross swelling and uh excuse me gross swelling in the penis and scrotum. Now Dr. Bivens said he performed a medically necessary procedure which was allowed to permit urine to pass through a catheter but as uh things continued to dis I guess um disintegrate <laughs> yeah. and things just continue to get worse. So until he can't provide, and this is uh, according to the judge, although Huey admitted the plaintiff's injury is extreme, he continued, the extreme nature of the alleged harm is significant. Part that when makes the plaintiff's uncertainty regarding the time, place, mode, and method, the harm was incurred so problematic. We said a medical malpractice claims filed in Alabama. The burden of proof lies with the plaintiff, and the amended complaint also fails to meet the heightened pleading standard under the Alabama medical liability. Basically, he doesn't have a third leg to stand on.
1: Nope. And the complaint was just way too short in allegations. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah, he to show up.
2: Gonna, you gotta give us more than that. <laughs> yeah, he got the short study. Shorter steps. And jokes about
1: it. This is well this guy's funny. This is his second go around at this and uh well dismissed without prejudice so he can try again. Um I really don't think that that this is going to go anywhere. So um maybe maybe we'll see him in a couple months trying again getting dismissed again, but at some point I think that that this will be um be thrown out. Um you know it, it's interesting because it sounds like and I really haven't looked into the the actual complaint um it doesn't sound like he's got a lawyer. Sounds like he's pro se and if you really believe <laughs> that strongly in your case, you know, you gotta get a lawyer because this is you know, he's he's taken on a big case, um and he's got uh well he's got he's got balls, I guess you could say in taking on a case. <laughs> that's,
2: that's about it unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's the old adage, yeah. Anyway, a man to defend himself has himself as a lawyer, has a fool for a client, or something of like that effect. You probably know. Yeah, about.
1: yeah, that's that's pretty much him. So <laughs> it's a shame. <laughs> well, I, mean,
2: I don't see that case growing at, growing at all.
1: Not growing at all. No.
2: But Halloween is growing. Yes, it is.
0: Yeah.
2: The scariest thing about Halloween is the liability. Uh, written by our own Peter J Lamont, published on topbusinesslaw.com. dot com. Halloween's a scary time. Trick-or-treaters will be soon visiting, and preparations must be made. Apart from the obvious requirements, which are candy and costumes, your to-do list should include a liability checkup. Ensure that you are adequately covered by your household insurance carrier should a mishap injury happen to a visiting guest. Understand the limitations of your coverage, and should you have any questions, ask your agent who should be able to answer most of your queries. If you are still uncertain concerning a tricky issue left unanswered by your agent, consult your attorney. The um, you know and this is something that I, do you have to do that once a year, Peter, or is that something you should probably look at every year?
1: You should look at you should look at your homeowner's insurance every year. And you know it's um it's, so so many people overlook because you just get your policy, throw it in a folder, and you think you're good. But you need to know what you're covered for. And you, it's it's interesting. I know that um, you know people like to think about candy and costumes on Halloween, but you do have to have. And an eye out for what goes on because, you know, I remember a story um, a few years ago, actually a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, where a guy had set up a Halloween display on his front lawn and he himself was behind a bush in a costume and as the kids would approach, he jumped out. Well, he did that to one kid who was with his grandfather and the grandfather had a heart attack. So there was liability there. And, you know, this happens all the time. So I think that you have to really be aware of what your policy says because, you know, most states, they've got a designation and the designation of your guest, whether you're an invitee, whether you're a licensee, you know, these, these technical definitions determine what your level of responsibility is for, you know, your, your maintaining your property. You know, there are things that happen on your property. There are holes, there are divots, there are swimming pools, there are playgrounds. There are all these things that could potentially pose liability to somebody who's coming onto your property. You know, the designation in most states for somebody who is a trick-or-treater is a social guest, and you don't owe them a, a duty to go out and inspect your property to make sure that it's in perfect condition, okay? Um, they take it as they find it, essentially, but there are times where things become what they call attractive nuisances. So you've got an uncovered swimming pool in the backyard, and let's say the door to your house is on the side, so as they approach the side, they can see the swimming pool. That could be an attractive nuisance. You know, there's just so (laughs) many things that you have to be aware of because it's a fun day, it's a fun holiday, and and, you you don't want to end up being sued. And if you are sued, you want to make sure that your homeowner's insurance is there to cover it. So... I know that it's kind of like a downer, and they're like, "Ah, oh, stupid lawyer talking about being sued at Halloween," but it happens all the time, you know,
2: every year. Yeah, it's I funny meet- because you, you, yeah, yeah, go ahead. and you 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 have a little list of of kind of things to look out for, easy things, and it's kind of funny because I've got one on this list. I have a loose step, you know. Yeah. you you, 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 you I, I walk over it every day. and say, "I got to fix that. Got to fix that. Yeah, got to yeah. fix that." But I'll or I'll walk over on this side of the stairs. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's what I would
2: do, and, and, <laughs> You know, and, and actually, you go through this list, you know, and, and a lot of it makes sense, but you don't think about it. In ensuring the property is lit and tidy. You know, make sure people can see. Make sure there's not things laying around you can trip over, garden tools. Um, secure potentially dangerous animals. If you have um, weather in your area, make sure it's clear and free of snow and ice. Even wet leaves, believe it or not, I'm sure it can be a, a, uh, something someone can slip on. Trees, obviously, can be magnets for playful children. Make sure that if there's any broken limbs or something hanging down, a kid can jump on, get hurt on, you need to fix that. Yard or gym, or a yard gym, which is what you mentioned as well. Um, and put up, uh, you know, just to cover your bases, this is a great point by you, is put up signs, warning signs of potential problems which cannot be repaired. You know, it's basically a good time for any time of year, really. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's a great list, Peter, yeah. No, I don't think I think I think that's a wise thing. I don't want to say it's 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 oh you gotta to listen to this lawyer telling you things. No, that's 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 a that's just good common sense that sometimes you do need to hear it from somebody else in a position of knowledge, like yourself, to say, Hey, you know what, yeah, I know I have the same things, but doesn't absolve you from getting these things fixed and minimizing your exposure.
1: No, and you know, it is a fun holiday. You know, the other holidays coming up as well, they're all fun. They're meant to be Happy times, and you know, while you're doing something that is enjoyable, you know, you want to make sure that you're also protecting yourself. And as as the, the Christmas holidays come around, you know, we're going to talk about some things with holiday parties. But one thing that I want to mention, uh, because there are some places out there that have Halloween parties and they allow you to dress up for Halloween. This is a true story. Um, it was two years ago, three three years ago, three years ago. There was a law firm who represented um, banks on foreclosures, and that was their primary source of income. And so they would be the ones who were going out and dealing with all the evictions and things like that. So they had this office party, and two of the people who worked in the foreclosure department dressed up like homeless people and carried signs that said, you've taken my house and I never got the notice. And it was meant to be a joke because a lot of the people that they were trying to evict, that would be their defense. We didn't get the notice. So Mm -hmm. clearly, this was in such, such poor taste. But what happened was a New York Times reporter had been invited to the party because she herself had been a client. And when she saw this, (laughs) she was so offended. So that's an extreme example I mean, because that's just way wrong. I mean, here you are, you're representing the banks. People hate you to begin with you, you know, to begin with. And now you're dressing up like somebody who's lost their home. That's crazy. Crazy. But, <laughs> well, that's the extreme. You know, when you do have these holiday parties coming up, and especially Halloween things, you need to have a a dress code with respect to costumes. You know, like, you know, your kids can't wear certain things to school, uh, in my kid's school, you're not allowed to wear a mask. Um, you're not allowed to bring in weapons, things like that. You know, fake weapons. If you are a business, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, not real ones. No, they're they're permitted. It's just a fake ones. Um, oh,
2: okay. okay.
1: <laughs> you know, if you're a business, <laughs> you're gonna have, yeah, <laughs> you're going to have a Halloween party. Um, you know, a lot of retail organizations and establishments they allow this sort of thing. You've got to be careful to to lay out some guidelines. You can't have you know, the sexy witch coming in and, and that's not a good thing. You need to be able to set, you know, a a sort of criteria and say, here's what you can, you can wear. Here are the limitations. And if you don't think that you can do that, then you're better off not allowing anybody to dress up because it's going to lead to, you know, employment law cases and discrimination and harassment claims. So you've got to be very careful with that. Um, I don't think I'll be allowing anybody to dress up this Halloween, but you know, that's just me.
2: <laughs> Killjoy. Um Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would figure I'm just going to I'm going to dress my children in um Ebola bio suits and just say they're health workers in Guinea mm-hmm. and that way they're safe and represented with a costume.
1: That's really nice. That's a good yeah, Absolutely. By the way, speaking of that, <laughs> but, while while we were <laughs> Doctors talking with the
2: orders on the, front of the shirt. <laughs>
1: While we were talking sorry, that's bad news alert, though, about that nurse. So, according uh-huh. to this news alert, Governor Christie just said that arrangements are being made to transfer her back to her home in Maine. So, oh,
2: he blinked. He blinked.
1: Yep, yep. So it looks like she's going to be going back, and we'll see what happens with the lawsuit, if that's going to continue, if that was just a threat. Um but according to this, this is on um actually all over the place. This is on, on Fox. Oh. it's that um arrangements are being made to transfer the nurse who said she was being quarantined in prison <laughs> to be transferred <laughs> back to <laughs> the
2: home of
1: Maine. She'll remain subject to the sorry, quarantine order while in New Jersey. Um but in Maine, health officials officials have been notified of her arrangements and will make a determination under their own laws on her treatment when she arrives. So, all those nice things you said at the beginning of the show out the window.
2: Yep, exactly. Governor Christie have let me down.
1: Yep, so she'll be going back. Oh, I won't
2: be voting for her. I will not be voting for him in this 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 year's gubernatorial election.
1: Well, maybe he was just happy Mostly to get rid
2: of her. Jersey.
1: Yeah, maybe he was just trying to get rid of her. <laughs> We don't. We don't want that. Yeah. Just ship <laughs> around. No longer
2: my problem. Brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe
2: this is a real good move for me. Well, the hardliners lost.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. All right. On another day. Right. <laughs> yes. All
1: right. So um, let's just talk about real quick what we've got coming up uh, this Thursday. This th- Thursday is going to be a fun show. We've got Amy Applebaum. She is a motivational speaker. She Her whole business is focused around um, women and success in business. She is a, a coach, a, a motivational speaker, an author. Um, and she's got a very good website, and it's all primarily aimed at helping women become entrepreneurs and successful business people. So we're going to be talking to her this Thursday. All about that this is the first time we are doing a show that's that's meant primarily for our women listeners you know anybody who is a woman who has an interest in becoming more of a success than you already may be or you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur uh, Amy Applebaum's going to talk to us about some of the things that you know women face some of the challenges and hurdles um, you know we talked last week about Microsoft or, or the week before and you know oh, yeah. he, he has his approach. We're not going to be having him on the show. He's not going to be giving. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to be giving any women advice. If you if you want more money, just don't ask for a raise. That's not going to be part of next Thursday's show.
2: I so, so bet his wife has stopped asking for him good to, to advice on things at home. Yes.
1: You want the garbage taken out? The best thing to do is to do it yourself. <laughs> don't ask me. Do it yourself. That's right. That's
2: right. Karma will. We'll spin around for you. Now take it
1: right. out. <laughs> yep. you just keep taking that out. But leave me out of that. Um, yeah, but yeah. we're going to talk to her Thursday, and, and she's going to have some really great advice for our, our women in the audience and, and talk about um, what you can do, what sort of things you have to be aware of, and how you can, can really kind of go for it in the business world. And, and, you know, there's so many opportunities out there. Uh, but it's so rare to get a speaker who is primarily focused just on, on the success of women in business. So that's this Thursday at 10 o'clock. Uh, we also have our live legal Q&A tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Uh, and then we've got a number of guests coming up for for November. And take a look at utlradio.com in the next week or so. <clears throat> we're going to be listing uh, all the new shows coming up for November. And, uh, you know, Bob and I are going to be back next Monday, as we always are, with, uh, with the news. Yeehaw. Bob, listen. Uh, you've got to be very careful this Halloween with that step. You should run outside right when we're done and make sure you either it, nice do something yep. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, will.
2: I I always quote, uh, look at it uh, the way uh, Hunter S. Thompson did in *Fear and Loathing* in Las Vegas. As your as my lawyer, you strongly advise me to fix that step. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, have a good Halloween. Happy birthday to your daughter.
2: Thank, thank you, be, thank you. You guys enjoy a safe holiday as well.
1: All right, and then uh, we will be back this Thursday. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Remember, please, you know, let us know what you think about this show, our other episodes. There's a slew of information out there um, that, that we're we're putting out. We want to make sure that it's um, it's what you guys need. So please send us a tweet, post on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and then give us a, you know a comment. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And uh, I thank you again for um, you know all of the downloads for the Captain Lee Show and us being one of the top shows today on Blog Talk Radio. So we do appreciate that. We appreciate everybody's comments. That's going to do it for today. Uh, have a a happy Halloween out there in Michigan because we're not going to be talking to Bob until next Monday. Exactly uh, correct. Yep, we will be on. The day before with uh, Amy Applebaum, and so um, you know we'll have some Halloween-related posts coming up too on our blog. Uh, so take a look for that as well. But uh, until next time, remember that there's power in understanding the law.